The CFOs that get it, get it. The CFOs that don't, don't. Let's talk about the CFO, the Chief Financial Officer. There are two kinds of CFOs. One who's struggling to keep up, spreadsheets everywhere, manual processes. It takes weeks to close the books. The other kind is on top of their game. Automated reports, inventory, commerce, and HR flow into the financial model seamlessly. NetSuite is everything you need to grow all in one place. That's why NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system used by over 28,000 growing businesses. 93% of businesses increased their visibility and control after upgrading to NetSuite. Head to netsuite.com slash c-suite for a special one-of-a-kind financing offer. That's netsuite.com slash c-suite. netsuite.com slash c-suite. This is Profit from the Inside with Joel Block. Strategies to give your business the inside track. And now, here's your host, Joel Block. If you were hysterically funny, would you refrain from calling yourself a comedian? Well, to answer that question, we have Damien Meeson. Uh, Damien, you are... Uh, you, you actually had me laughing like my side was hurting when I heard you the first time uh, some years ago. And uh, and since then, as we've got to know each other, you don't call yourself a comedian, uh, but I, I think you're incredible. So what what's up with that? I appreciate you uh, asking the question because uh, first off, I don't call myself a comedian because the world doesn't give the respect and the credence to comedians or to the profession of comedy that it deserves. Uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, if I were at your backyard after we came home from a Dodgers game and your buddies all came over and they said, oh, okay, yeah, you're Damian Mason. Uh, Joel, uh, I think I heard something about you now. Uh, what do you do? And I would say, oh, I'm self-employed. Uh, I, I, I'm in the speaking business. Well, you know, how'd you get into that? Well, I started, I wouldn't say I started out in political comedy, probably to mix company because they would then say, oh my God, you're a comedian? Say something funny. Say something funny. I would say, no. <laughs> Bullshit. Do you do this to your plumber? Oh, hey, you're a plumber. I met you at a ball game. Why don't you come over and fix my sink? So this is the problem that it has very little respect and credibility that it actually should get because it's a hard business. I mean, anybody that's been a professional deliverer of comedy and gotten paid well for it works their tail off and it's a hard business. But it doesn't get the respect. It doesn't get the credibility. And now I deliver speeches to corporate crowds and association audiences and talk about business stuff. And if you open with, I'm a comedian, all they're going to want is the punchlines. So it's better to say, uh, not to say you're a comedian because I'm afraid it just doesn't get the respect. And it took me a long time to understand that. It also, uh, just listening to you, it seems like it sets up an expectation that, uh, that you may or may not be able to live up to because everybody's got some standard in their mind about what they expect. Is that, is that a problem too? Yeah, and again, it goes back to it's almost it almost is denigrating to the business. I'll give you an example. I was invited to do a speech, and it was supposed to be to small business people. And this was a long time ago. And I'm like, what would I tell small business people? Because I am one. And they opened by saying, well, Damian Mason is a comedian. And he's going to talk to us about running a small business. And so I stepped up there and I said, hey, there's a few things that I've learned over my years. And here's a couple of things that I definitely know that you can take from my mistakes. Boom, boom, boom. Went through it. And 
yeah, I made a few jokes. Well, after I got done, a person came up to me and said, well, you know what? They introduced you as a comedian, and I just kept sitting there saying, well, this guy's not even funny. I said, they told you I'm going to teach you about running your small business, right? Yeah, but they said comedian. I said, again, this brings up how little respect the business of comedy gets because instead of him actually writing down the notes of, okay, um, first off, on the promotional thing, let's talk about how to promote your business, okay? Let's talk about how to stay fresh, how to cut material. and for cut. So I went through all the lessons of comedy, and the thing is, one of these people in the audience, and probably several of them were just like him, Joel, were saying to themselves, well, God, I wish you'd just do, I just flew in from Albuquerque. So that's the problem. When they say the word comedian, it automatically sets up this expectation that you're supposed to say, gee, my arms are tired, I just flew in from Albuquerque. And that is, uh, it's so, it's so, I guess it's denigrating to the whole entire yeah. business. Well, it, uh, it also, it makes it difficult for people to focus on whatever it is that you want them to uh, focus on. So uh, you're a prolific keynote speaker. You're out there 50 times a year or more and uh, you're you're traveling all over uh, all over the place on whatever the so-called circuit looks like. Um, there must be a way that you, you you don't leave the comedy at home. I mean, they they may not call you a comedian, but do you bring the comedy on the road with you? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you come up doing comedy, you know how to be funny, and I tell everybody being funny is like being tall. You either are or you are not, and it's going to be evident to the world by the time you're 18 years old. You're funny or you're tall. Uh, I have taken classes to get funnier. I went to Second City and did six months of improv training and scene writing. I also have studied and watched uh, videos and read books by, you know, Seinfeld or uh, Ray Romano, Bill Cosby. I know that's a bad word to say Bill Cosby right now, but I read some of his stuff and you know, Steve Martin. So I treat the thing pretty seriously. Now, I don't work I don't work on comedy bits as much as I used to in a previous life because I don't do as much pure humor. But I bring a program to the audience where I talk about business stuff that's relevant to them. I do a ton in agriculture. So many of my clients are agricultural business people, food processors, farmers, machinery dealers, you know, seed sales reps. And so I'd say 25% of everything I do is still funny because it's endearing. And when those people come up and they say, hey, that was really funny. I say, well, is that all you got? It? No, no, no. I liked all your points. But you know that thing you said over there? They always resonate uh, and bring themselves back to the humor. You know, somehow when, when the material is light, it's digestible. Uh, it makes people enjoy it more. Uh, you know, heavy, boring material, uh, you, you just don't absorb it. And so uh, I think that when you deliver that way, uh, it's better for everyone. It's better for everybody because, you know. It's a good it, style. You know, you don't want to sound like you're being mean, but the reality is humans don't, uh, you know, there's a reason there's only a handful of humans that are physicists. Uh, you, you know, there's, there's a certain crowd, there's a certain crowd that still wants simple. And so if you can deliver simple and funny, but also here's the fundamentals, then there's a lot of digestibility. Yeah. So would, would you say that, because uh, I'm always about finding the trick, you know, and, and, and the trick not being a negative thing, but, and, and not making light of anything, but there's always something that successful people know how to do that other people just don't know how to do. And I call that the, the trick. A restaurateur, for example, uh, there are people who run great restaurants and then there's everybody else and they frequently fail. Uh, and there's something that those successful people know. So what is it that you know? And maybe it's what you just said, but you know, what is it that you know that makes you a successful keynote speaker? I mean, that, that, that has uh, propelled you for what, what, how many, 25 years or something? A long time, right? 
Yeah, I'm in my 25th year, so I quit my job in 1994 to become a professional political comedian. I don't do political comedy anymore, but that was my background. So when you talk about the trick, first off, I said being funny is like being tall. If you're going to quit your corporate job selling lighting products for the second biggest lighting manufacturer on the planet, you better actually be good at what you do. Was I good? Well, I mean, I was budding. I was starting out. I was 25 years old. So you want to talk about tricks? I can probably go through a lot of tricks, but really the first trick is you darn sure better know what you got. Like understand what your toolbox has in it. I knew I was a really hard worker because I was a farm kid that came from a pretty uh, modest background. I knew I could work hard. I also knew I was funny. And I knew that I could entertain that crowd. I remember I went and called on agents before the web, before the internet. You know, you had like yellow paper. <laughs> I went and called on agents that were in the entertainment business because I said, I'm going to need you to sell my act. I didn't even have really have an act. I had the beginnings of an act. I had a budding act, something I could maybe make a couple hundred dollars doing. And I remember walking into these agents and they said, well, like, what's your act? And I said, well, you know, I got five minutes where I'm funny. I do this. And I said, well, like, what are you going to say? I thought, well, hell, I don't have any problem coming up with stuff to say. I knew that you couldn't just get up and ramble for an hour, but I knew I had 10 minutes of funny. So I started really working on that. So when you talk about a trick, first off, you better know yourself and know what you can do. Secondly, comedy is very personality driven. You know, one of the books that I read a long time ago talked about you're a professional observer when you're a comedian and you take those observations and you package them up with a unique perspective that someone that the audience hasn't really thought of. You put your point of view on it. Because I'm funny and because I've had a certain personality my whole life, I always know that I can say stuff that maybe you cannot, that the banker cannot, that the nurse cannot, that the person that works for you cannot. I can do that and it's because I can package my opinions in a comedic manner. You're still gonna hear the point, but you're gonna say, okay, I get it. And I can do that and that's a personality thing. That's another trick. If you understand that there is a personality uh, specific uh, nature to what you deliver, and it doesn't matter what you sell or who you deal with as long as you understand how you are perceived. Best part about comedy, it forced me to break down tape as I talk about it. And I have a chapter in my book devoted to it about critical analysis, breaking down tape, Joel. And this is something that, you know, you as a speaker can even relate to. When you go back to your hotel room after you just delivered a presentation at that conference, for me back in comedy, it used to be at 10 o'clock at night. You know, I'd be on stage at nine, go back, get my makeup off, take a shower. And I'd sit down and order room service at 10 o'clock at night and I'd play the audio tape back. And I would listen to it with a keen and critical ear. What did I say? What did the audience react to? And beyond just the laughter, you're counting the laughs per minute, but then you always do what I tell everybody, compress. Seinfeld calls it efficiency. Most people in comedy call it tightening the act. Taking a four-minute bit and compressing it to a two-minute bit that still retains the six laughs. Now I got six laughs in two minutes to six laughs over four minutes. And during that, I still retained my point, my perspective, the punchlines, and the audience reaction. And what you did is you stopped wasting their time. So the trick there, of course, is always look at your business from your customer's perspective. Being in comedy taught me, how does the audience hear something? What are they feeling? What are they seeing? And then it forces you to see yourself through their eyes. And that's a real powerful thing that anybody listening right now, best thing you can do, 
critically analyze your offering and say, what can I do to look at myself from the customer's perspective? Now, and, and that is, uh, that, that's, that's awesome advice and, and that's uh, excellent generalizing. So you generalize from, from comedy to other kinds of business. Um, and one of the things we always talk about is profit from the inside that, uh, you know, I've been a money business insider for, you know, for most all my career for 30 years and people in the money business tend to look at things in a, in a certain way. And so I, I share the strategies that, that I've garnered from being inside probably a thousand companies in, in my career. Um, if you were to, you know, further generalize that analysis, so you go back to your hotel room, you study your, your lines, you compress, you, you make more efficient, you, you work on your, uh, you know, jokes per minute or whatever the, the laughs per second or whatever you look at the metrics. Um, what are some other ways that business people who are not in, com in comedy, that are not uh, in, in the service business like speakers, uh, what are ways that regular businesses, uh, manufacturers, wholesalers, distributors, how can they uh, take advantage of the concept of, uh, of basically debriefing is kind of what you're talking about. You're, you're talking about debriefing and, and, and really critical self-analysis. Yeah, critical analysis, breaking down tape is kind of what I always call it, which is funny. We don't even have tape anymore. I'm yeah, not right. recording right say, now. Say that, say that to a to a kid. They won't even know what you're talking about. Like, yeah, by like, the way, when you're done, roll down the window. Yeah, it's like roll down the window or <laughs> dial. Hang up the phone, right? Yeah, hang up the phone or, or di dial, dial the number. Um, <laughs> okay, so real good analysis here. And, you know, the great thing is I was raised on a farm. I worked in a factory and I had a job in corporate. So I've got enough experience with these. Uh, different things. So yeah, your listener right now that says, hey man, that's great, but I own uh, Subway franchises. Or your listener says, I, I've got a little company uh, with 46 employees and we manufacture this specialty niche product, blah, blah, blah. The concept of breaking down tape and critical analysis is the same for everybody, is pulling yourself back in sort of the third person. Imagine you're the narrator or just the observer now watching your transactions and watching so go through everything that one might do as far as breaking down tape and critical analysis. If you are able to tape it, watch the sales call that you just made. Were you as cognizant of the customer's time as perhaps a comedian would be in saying, I've only got 40 minutes to deliver my set. And the more I can squeeze into that 40 minutes, the more efficient, but also the better for the audience and the more I will succeed because they'll say, Jesus, in 40 minutes, he just really put out a lot of stuff and I laughed the whole time. So are you as cognizant of your customer's time? Another thing, I always talk about feeling. Humans are emotional beings. You know that. That's why humor works. That's why I can deliver what I deliver and it might be a little bit bare knuckle, but the fact that I made them laugh and the fact that I was funny, it's like, yeah, well, boy, that Damien really kind of smacked us in the chops, but he sure was funny. What's your customer feeling? You know, humans are emotional beasts, and if you've got the best uh, widget on the market, or let's just say, you know, the manufacturing person, when you bring a customer in for a plant tour, what are they feeling? Are they intimidated? Do you, do you talk down to them? Are they intimidated by the process, uh, or do they view you as weak? Do they look at you and say, oh, well, this person is really, uh, you know, an easy pushover? So there's always about that feeling, and so if you can wind it back and look at things from their perspective, it makes you stronger. There's another angle also. What are they seeing that maybe you don't? Now, you and I both do this all the time. Example I would give you, my wife and I like this little diner here in Huntington, Indiana, and we go there for lunch. Well, one of the days, and we know the owner, there's a fight going on back in the kitchen between the owner and uh, her son who's in the kitchen. 
It's uncomfortable. It's awkward. So don't think for a second that these things are transparent or are not perceived by your customers. And I think that everybody listening to this show right now is saying, oh, yeah, you know what? <laughs> I remember that. What if you walked in the doors of your business and you weren't the owner? How would you see things? Is the employee over there on their phone, is that what you want to convey that, that they don't care? Uh, are things in disarray? You know, look at the, the company that has the HVAC business. You know, you there in Southern California, your air conditioning goes there, you're like, crap, we need to get this fixed. But when they show up two hours late, you're already pissed off. When the truck looks like it just completed the demolition derby, you think they're not professional. Those are the powers of being critically uh, analytical of your business and breaking down tape. You know, you know what, uh, what I take away from this, a couple, couple big things. One is that um, in your industry, uh, you have these key performance indicators, KPIs, or metrics that work for you. And every business owner has to come up with metrics that work for them. So uh, not necessarily industry standard metrics or KPIs, but ones that work for you. Um, I run on, on rules of thumb. I, I, I don't, uh, you know, I don't use ratios and analysis. I, I just, I use rules of thumb. I'm very good at rules of thumb and that's how I operate. The other thing that, um, that I just love what you just said was asked the question, if you were standing in your customer's shoes, how would you like what you see when you look at your own company? And, and that's a hard thing for a lot of us to do. It's hard because the truth hurts and it's just hard. It's just hard to do. Uh, but I think that that's probably a trick that the most successful people do is they get into the shoes of their customer or the other people who they're dealing with and they look at the world from the other side of the table. And, and that's got to be a great, uh, a great perspective. So thanks for bringing those up. I went uh, a few years ago, Joel, uh, a friend of mine who had been an investment banker, so he's a little bit more from, more from your side of the uh, table. We were looking at buying a little company. And in fact, it was a division of a bigger company. So we walked in there and my friend is very much the banker mentality, the money mentality, you know, and he's going to go in there, he's going to talk about, uh, you know, ROIs and, and all the, all the, EBITDA, uh, you know, and I get ROI and I get EBITDA and I get KPI as you just described it. So the thing is, he's never really been a salesperson in the true sense and hadn't run his own little business where every day, for instance, as a comedian guy or now I go and deliver speeches to corporate groups, about every day I'm talking to a different client. And one thing that makes you more powerful is to just ask them a question and let them tell you what they want. So he goes in there kind of hard charging about this and that and the money and the finances and, you know, where we are. And I finally then just asked this woman a question. It was a family owned company and they were going to sell a division off. And I said, Mrs. So-and-so, can I ask you a question? Yeah. She says, what would you like to see happen with this little division and why are you having us here in this board meeting, in this meeting right now to discuss that? Well, of course, now it becomes, oh, what do we actually want? And what can, it was so powerful because this guy, my partner, didn't think about it from her perspective. What does she want to have happen? She's not poor. She has this little division over here. She wants to do something with it. And she explained what her wishes were. Now, it was very much like, oh, this person has just seen something from my perspective. So it happens in transactions. It happens when you're the service provider. It happens when you're the manufacturer. Always look at things from their perspective. And if you have to, ask, what would you like? 
And that is especially difficult to do when you're a technical person, like an investment banker, uh, like a physicist. They're not quite as technical, but but they're technical people. Most of the people that I deal with in the money business are somewhat technical. And, you know, whether they're CPAs or venture capitalists or investment bankers, I mean, they're, you know, we're all trained in a certain way and we all see the world in a certain way. And when you deal with people that are from a different world, there's really only a small number of us that really uh, can translate that world into somebody else's language. And, and a lot of people really uh, don't do a great job of it. And that's why the sales skills are so critical, which I think is another trick. I mean, salespeople, you have to speak in the language of the customer and you have to sometimes translate whatever, uh, whatever, you're, whatever you're thinking or whatever you're about into the language of those people. And that's really, it's sometimes for people it's hard to do. So that's, uh, I'd say that's an absolute another trick for people to pay attention to. Yeah, and you know, it's the old mood of the room. Actually, this is kind of a funny one. Uh, when you got a comedy background, there was a time when I my political comedy show went away and I was rebuilding and it was a tough couple of years. And so I went back to school. I went back into classes, but I also went and did comedy clubs, which is uh, something you really don't want to do. This was years and years ago. And I worked one night with, uh, actually a whole week, with a, a, a two-man act. And one of them was blind. And I learned something because they taught me, because I said, man, it's got to be tough. How do you gauge reaction? How do you, you know, there's that thing about I'm looking over here at table 13 and I'm watching what the reaction is. And the guy said, I have to feel the room since I can't see it. Well, think about that with your customers. If you can feel your customer's angst, if you can feel your customer's pain, told my wife a long time ago, uh, you talk about a trick. She was never a salesperson, but she helps me run my business. And so uh, we sell crap stuff for, you know, beef for my farm. We also sell dates on the calendar and services that I offer. I said, honey, sales is really a simple thing. It's understanding the customer's pain and then positioning yourself as the solution to relieve the pain. So that goes back to customer feel, feeling what their issue is. Listen, customers, uh, people all want to uh, make pain go away, whatever the pain is. And in fact, it's well known in the United States of America and beyond that we take 10 times more painkillers than vitamins. People want pain to go away more than they want to get things that they want. So they want to make bad things go away more. And so from a selling perspective, uh, that's a really important thing to understand. And you just have to, you know, to me, here's selling it. To me, selling is getting a person to say yes. I, I, you know, listen, if you're a little baby and you're hungry and you're crying in the crib, you, you, the goal is to get the mama to come out or or the dad sometimes yeah, yeah. come out and say yes and, and give the kid the bottle or whatever needs to happen. And, and so it, it's what needs to be done. And, and that's really, to me, what this is all about. It's really all about uh, getting someone to say yes and explaining things to them in a very rational, uh, simple way that makes them understand what's going on, uh, that they know that their problem is going to be solved, that they're going to be better off as a result. And that's uh, that to me, to me, that's what sales is. It's not a lot more complicated than that. And I love the concept of feeling the room. Sometimes people that are missing one sense uh, really have an advantage over the rest of us in a certain way they do because they see the world in a different way uh, or they feel the world in a different way. And, and that is probably what a lot of us need to do in some cases. Yeah. And the problem, of course, also is we get very comfortable. And so growth is not generally comfortable. And we always rely on what we've done. Oh, this is how I've always done it. You, know, you hear that all the time. This is how we've always done it. And so if you want to get better, you're going to have to make yourself a little bit uncomfortable. And again, it might mean you've got to 
start perceiving a little better. You know, it took me a long while. My wife is, uh, we've been together for a long time. And she said, for instance, Damien, your level of conflict uh, tolerance is very different from most people. You were raised in a family with nine children. They're Catholic hotheads and they fought all the time. Just most people aren't that way. So that goes back to feeling that, whereas sometimes I'm like, what the hell's the big deal? What's the problem over here? And then you realize, oh, this customer has a very different concept of, uh, you know, whether it's negotiation or whatever. So we should always be cognizant of that. I know your listeners are saying, what's this mean for me? Well, think about this. In every negotiation you may have, whether you're buying, selling, uh, you know, expanding, uh, talking to the banker, there's this thing about, I think it's very powerful. This is what comedy, again, has kind of teaches you. Look at that room ahead of time and think real quickly, where are they in their heads and where am I? And how can we make sure that we come together? And so I kind of do this now. I'm walking in to meet the banker. I think about their perspective and then mine. And I think, what do I want and what are what do they want? You go meet the insurance person or you go and meet uh, a potential client. It's always got to be this thing of now kind of feeling the room. What do they want? What do I want? It's an awesome perspective. Two more little questions and then we'll wind down. First, when you were a kid, were you the class clown? Uh, you know, I think it was Billy Crystal that answered that question by saying, no, I was never the class clown. I was a class comedian. The class clown is the one that ran naked on the football field. The class comedians want to talk him into it. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, I was a funny kid. I could make people laugh. I was in trouble. Uh, I don't think this is probably too different from many people that end up being funny on a stage. I was very ADHD, pretty high energy kid, uh, you know, smart, but I, not a great student. I got B's. Um, and sometimes uh, A's and sometimes C's and D's. So, um, yeah, I was a funny kid. I could make people laugh, and then I was in trouble. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's probably fine. You know, the thing that I, I think is really interesting is that um, we tend to, and I can be very critical of academia, we tend to give the kid that was the salutatorian or the valedictorian all this, just heap the praise on. You hear this all the time. They say from parents, and especially from teachers, oh, well, little Susie is going to be so successful. You say, why, why would you say that? Well, she's just brilliant. Said, well, I just tell you what, and this might sound arrogant, but I bet you every one of your listeners will appreciate this story, Joel. I was the class president and my class reunion uh, came up. So a bunch of people brought crap from our class, you know, and there it was 20 or 30 year reunion. And they gave me these pictures of the top 25 students of our high school class. I said, what do I want with these? And they said, well, you should keep your class president. I said, hell, I'm not any of these pictures. I wasn't in the top 25 of my class. <laughs> and so the funny thing is I said, hey, you know what? I'll just tell you about being the top 25 in the class. And I bet you all your entrepreneur and business owner listeners are probably going to appreciate this. I said, I'm going to circle all the people in the top 25 that have winter homes next to my winter home in Arizona. Because ain't none of them do. <laughs> you know, um, it's, it's, uh, it's actually very well known that uh, actually I wrote in my book, that uh, when I was at, uh, you know, in, in the big accounting firm uh, world, um, they divided the, the the partners, the guys that owned those firms that, had, you know, and, and there could be thousands of partners in these giant firms. Yeah. They divided them into quartiles and, and all people were put into quartiles. And so the top quartile, of course, were the best guys that became partners. But what happened was that the uh, the second quartile, the, the third and fourth quartile, they dropped right away. And the second quartile, they kind of inched along and pushed them up through the ranks. And, and ultimately, uh, a lot of those uh, second quartile people went away 
and uh, and they became the very successful entrepreneurs. And and in, in your situation, what you're describing is those A, B, and C kids. The entrepreneurs are frequently the C kids, and they end up employing the A kids, as it turns out. You know, so yes. it, it just it's um, the the way we look at success is a funny thing. Yeah, it's too bad that really what we do, Joel, and I know we're getting long, but we tell kids that uh, if they get good grades, that that means they're going to be successful. And I'm telling you that you and I both know I make the crack all the time. Perfect attendance trumps honor roll most of the time. Yeah, listen, I I, I would uh, I would agree that that's probably true. Well, you know, so uh, so a couple of things. I mean, listen, our society in general, it's it's a little bit military, and and you know, to be a good uh, a good successful worker in a corporation, you have to sort of be a good soldier and you have to kind of do what you're told. And that's kind of what school does. Uh, I was driving by a, a junior high school in the last year or so, and I saw a bunch of children <clears throat> lined up on the PE yard and it, it looked totally military <laughs> just watching the kids uh, on the PE yard. But, you know, listen, we, we teach people to become, uh, you know, to be good workers and be in, you know, I mean, we don't teach them to be uh, independent thinkers, to be entrepreneurs. That's, that's a, a whole different uh, world and it's much more complicated. So here's the last thing. So you said early on that uh, you would take the audience's opinion, then you take your opinion, you lay them together, and then it uh, comes out funny. Somehow, uh, when I take uh, their opinion and my opinion, I layer them on top, I give them a unique perspective. It's not always that funny. So there, so what makes it funny? Just, just tell us what makes something funny. What makes something funny is a difficult question because, of course, it's personal. And it's also very situationally specific. So one thing, we've got a society that struggles to even say what is real because we're so politically correct. Sometimes you're funny because you're the person that's willing to actually put truth to something. Sometimes what's funny is, uh, and the, 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 there's, a, there's, of course, layers. You know, you've got physical comedy and, you know, vulgarity. Those are very low level. And then language and, and story and character contradiction are higher forms of comedy. What makes something funny is, first off, there could be elements of all of those in there. And then what you're really doing is you're taking what they've seen forever, and this is where the gift comes in. You're taking what they've seen but never actually seen it the way you saw it. And that's what makes something funny. It's because they have relatability. You know, I do jokes about colorblindness, and only 8% of American males are colorblind. So you've never seen through my eyes. You don't know what I'm not seeing. And for the first few months, I put it out there as sample material. I made it too much about me. And then I said, wait a minute, I'm just going to give you the experience. And now you don't even have to worry about what I see. What would it be like for you? And so what you have to do then is you make it funny because you put them into it. What makes funny is when people can see themselves doing what you're talking about. Well, that, that is, uh, that's really cool. Damien, you've been a great guest. This has been a, a really fun conversation. And, uh, you know, listen, I, you're, you're a close friend and, and I'm glad to, to know you for a long time. And I'm just glad to have you in my life, man. So thank you very much. You want to just give some uh, contact info and uh, it'll also be on our website, you know, and Spotify and all the places where we are. So sure thing. Hey, if you need somebody to come and talk about business uh, at your next conference and do it in a funny way, that's me, DamianMason.com, D-A-M-I-A-N, Mason like a bricklayer, DamianMason.com. I'm on Twitter at Damian P. Mason, Facebook, Damian Mason Professional Speaker, LinkedIn, Damian Mason. You can find me, watch my stuff. YouTube videos are everywhere. Joel, I appreciate you having me on. Well, listen, uh, Damien, if people follow your lead, then they're going to be able to profit from the inside. That's the important thing. Be willing to give yourself the critical analysis. 
Very good. All right, man. Listen, thank you very much. And uh, till next week, be well. Produced by Audavita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.